You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Rob Tumbrella. I'd like to introduce myself to you. My name is Rob. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. Uh, I want to join my voice to the others and say welcome. Thank you so much for being here and being a part of today's worship service. Uh, Today and next Sunday are pretty special. We're going to be talking about the two ordinances that Jesus gave the church, which is baptism and the Lord's Supper or communion. Today I'm going to be talking about baptism. Next week, Pastor Caleb is going to be talking about the Lord's Supper or communion. And so today the title of the message is the power and the purpose of baptism. And that is my prayer as, as I've been preparing this week to share this message is that, that we all as, uh, as, as one church would see the power and the purpose because baptism has both. It has a power to it and has a purpose to it that we would see that whether for the first time for many of us or re-see it, rediscover it together. And so we're going to be looking at various scriptures. The, the scriptures are going to be on the screen behind me because we're going to try to, in a short time, take sort of a comprehensive uh, look at it. And it's going to be a flyover, so I'm not going to be able to go deep into every concept that we'll see together. But I, I would like to ask the following questions and let the Bible answer them for us. First, what is baptism? What does the Bible say about it? There's a lot of confusion about even what it is. Secondly, what is the purpose of baptism? What does baptism communicate? And then lastly, what are some questions that people have about baptism? Like, should I be baptized or should I get rebaptized? Or questions about uh, our kids and things like that. So uh, let's, let's look at these questions. Let's answer them. And in this service, we're going to get the, the privilege and joy of seeing a couple of people get baptized at the end of this service, service which is going to be fantastic. So um, let's ask that first question. What is baptism? What does the Bible say about baptism? Well, in the Greek, to baptize means to immerse or to plunge or to dip. And, and it means to do that, to immerse somebody as they identify with something, a spiritual reality. When Jesus decided to uh, identify with sinners as he began his public ministry, he was plunged, he was immersed, he was baptized into water. In Matthew three sixteen, it says, when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. In other words, he was he was immersed, and then he came up out of the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. You see the triune love of God surrounding Jesus, Father, Son, and Spirit, as Christ is identifying with sinners, and he is plunged in the water and immersed in the water. And, uh, and then at the end of Matthew, he gives these commands. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So again, baptize them in a triune way in the love of God uh, in the same way that I was baptized. And they do. That's what happens. Uh, they start sharing the gospel, preaching the gospel, taking the gospel to the nations in the book of Acts. And it, the, the, the gospel spreads to the outsider. 
and there's an Ethiopian, uh, a eunuch that's reading Isaiah. And God sends Philip to go explain to him that the promise that he's reading about is found in Jesus as the king and the Messiah. And he puts his faith in Jesus. And then they're going along the road and they come to some water. And the eunuch says, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? Well, the answer was, nothing prevents you from being baptized. And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water. Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized them. So that's what it means. It means to, to be immersed or to, plunge, to be plunged under the water by someone to identify with something. It's an objective physical demonstration through immersion of a spiritual reality. It's like an imperfect but a powerful picture of a perfect reality. Think of it this way. Some of you guys are geeking out on the James Webb Space Telescope. How many of you are all the way in there? Every image that comes out, you're looking at it. There you go. I know who my friends are now in the, in the room. Thank you. Ever since the summer, it's like my screensaver on my phone. It's just fascinating. My, my wife and I last night were looking at some of the images of Jupiter. Uh, the, the Webb Space Telescope can't take you to Jupiter. But it can give you a powerful image of its reality. We see what's there. It doesn't take us there, but it shows us what's there. And it's a powerful picture of something that is real and amazing. In our uh, confession uh, with Trinity Fellowship Churches, I think we have this slide. I don't know. We're working on it. The, uh, here's how our confession puts it. And this was adopted from the second London Baptist, 1689, which was also adopted from the Westminster. So, an, so a, a historic confession. It says it this way. As sacraments, the Lord's Supper and baptism are visible signs and seals of an invisible grace that comes from the Lord to the recipient of the sign. Such invisible grace comes through faith by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, you would have to read the rest of the confession to understand when they say faith, they mean faith in Christ alone and not faith in the sacrament. And that's clear in uh, the other parts of the confession. And that's what would make our understanding of that word sacrament very different from our Catholic friends. Uh, when we understand this invisible grace coming through us from a sacrament, it's not grace that saves or justifies us slowly over time by faith in the sacrament, but grace that builds up already saved and justified people slowly and over time. So it's, it's through faith in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. So confusing faith in the sacrament of baptism or the Lord's Supper from faith in Christ alone that that sacrament represents is a very big difference between a experience of anxiety and confusion and rest and peace and joy. And that's what this is supposed to lead you to. The sacraments are to lead you into further peace and rest and joy in Christ. So let's ask that question. What does the Bible say about baptism? Specifically, what invisible grace does baptism make visible? What does it clearly picture of a reality that's behind the scenes? Well, the first 
thing that it gives an image of, of the invisible, is union with Christ. That's a theological word. The, the, the theologians use for sort of modern vernacular of a relationship with Christ. When the, the theologians use the word union with Christ, they mean that we're in Christ, both individually and as a body, and that Christ is in us individually and as a body, and we're eternally connected. Here's how it's described in Ephesians chapter Two. We actually have this verse on our building. You walked right past it. Maybe you never saw this. It says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his Grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved. There's that word again, that phrase again. Through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works. So that no one may boast. Do do you notice the language of union with Christ? You were dead in your trespasses. You were made alive, notice, together with Christ. When did that happen? When you put your faith in Jesus, whenever that happened in your life, it connected you across time and eternity to Jesus who was dead and in the tomb and then made alive by the power of God. Of the Holy Spirit. And when he was made alive, you being together with Christ was made alive. And when he was raised up, you were raised up. And as he is seated in the heavenly places, you're seated, notice, with him in the heavenly places. That all came, notice, by grace you've been saved in verse 5. And then verse 8, it's picked up again, that same thought. For by grace you've been saved, notice, through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's a gift of God. So it's pointing to a gift that's come to us. That gift is the grace of God that has come to us, that's been exercised through faith in him, connecting us eternally to Jesus and making us one with him. So notice, we are saved by grace alone. That theological word is sola gratia. And that's demonstrated through faith alone, sola fide. And those two ideas are always connected in the Bible, and grace always comes first. Here's how it works. God opens up our eyes and our heart, and that actually happens passively, and then we actively receive Christ and trust in him alone. Now, our experience of that feels very opposite. It feels like the inverse is true. Uh, We hear the gospel, we have active trust in Jesus, and then we step into this new world of grace. But preceding that active trust is a prior passive grace that comes to us as a gift, opening up our eyes and our minds and causing us to actively trust in Jesus. Let me describe it this way. If I wrote you a million-dollar check, and I just left it right there on the stage, and I said, if anybody... Once that million-dollar check, you can come and receive it as a gift. Somebody would have to boldly come up here and take that million-dollar check 
and uh, take it to the bank and give it to the person at the bank and try to deposit that check. That would be an active uh, response. That would be faith alone. It would take faith alone for you to do that. But prior to that, and even on your way to the bank, a miracle has taken place where you actually believe that my check was good. (laughs) That miracle is the miracle of grace alone that acts on you in such a way that you would respond positively by faith alone. It's your faith, but it's, it's your trust. But it's God that's animating that, that's moving on you to do that. And baptism demonstrates both grace alone and faith alone. You can't baptize yourself. I I suppose you can if you're Robert Duvall in the movie The Apostle. Anybody see that movie? He like steps out in the water. He's like, I baptize myself. And he does this like dunking. That's not a baptism. You just just dunked yourself. Uh, You can't baptize yourself. Someone outside of you has to baptize you. And that person's doing all the work. And you don't do any of it. In fact, when we do a baptism, I will say to somebody, if I'm doing it, I will say... Uh, listen, don't do anything. Uh, I need you to lean back and, uh, and I'll do all the work. I'll hold your nose. I'll hold the back of your head. We'll, I'll put you down in the water and pull you back up. It's, and it symbolizes something that grace is all of God. Salvation is all of God. And it's all of grace. God is the one doing the saving. But baptism also demonstrates that that grace alone reality is demonstrated through faith alone. That passive grace has caused an active trust in the individual, trusting in Jesus personally. And that's why, as a church, we don't hold to, uh, we don't hold to infant baptism. We hold to believer's baptism. So, like in infant baptism, what our Presbyterian friends would, would, uh, would do, it clearly communicates the passive nature of grace and the gift of salvation... But it doesn't communicate the active nature of faith and how grace moves the heart to a personal, individual trust in Christ. And that's why when we do baptisms, we ask people to give a profession of faith. Now, some people read it and some people just say yes to questions that we ask. But it is a profession of faith, of personal trust in Jesus alone. So that's the first thing. I know that's a lot, but that's the first thing that... Uh, we would say baptism gives us an image of. It gives us an image of union with Christ, of grace alone through faith alone. It's a beautiful picture both of God doing the work and uh, all that being done through a personal trust of the person being baptized. Uh, Here's the second thing it, it gives us a picture of. And this is amazing. Forgiveness of sins. Look at this verse behind me. Isaiah 43, 25. It's a promise like many in the Old Testament that one day God is going to relate to his people in a new and unique way. Here's the promise. I, even I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. There'd be a day coming in the new covenant through the death and resurrection of Jesus where God would only relate to us as loved and accepted 
friends, and children. All through the Messiah, Jesus, who would come and make this a reality for us. Well, Jesus comes and lives the perfect life. He dies, he rises, he ascends and sends the Holy Spirit on the church, connecting us to this new covenant reality through faith. Peter gets up and preaches the gospel in Acts chapter 2, and he says, repent, he tells them the gospel, and then he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. When he says that, that means past, present, and future. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And so this promise of forgiveness, this promise of pardon is part of this New covenant reality. And baptism uh, recognizes this reality that for those who put their faith in Jesus, they are forgiven, they are pardoned of all of their sins. And God is now relating to that person in a new way. He is relating to them in a in an act on his part to not remember their sins, but only relate to them as loved and accepted friends and children. Nothing, nothing hindering them from coming into his presence. When Paul recounts his faith in Jesus to, uh, which king was it? Uh, in Acts 22, can't remember who it was. Who it was? Anyway, uh, Josephus. I don't know who it was. Who? I forget who it was. Anyway, when Paul is recounting his testimony, he remembers this uh, as a reality. When Cornelius tells him, "Why do you wait? Rise and be baptized," and he uses these words, "and wash away your sins," calling on his name. Baptism represents that. Something has been washed away from me. My sins have been removed from me as far as the east is from the west. Now, I am still a sinner, but the penalty of sin and the power of sin and the stain and the guilt of sin has been washed away in this new covenant reality and this new standing that I have in God of being justified and declared holy in Christ. Now this is an amazing promise. And many of us just don't live in the good of this. So we don't live celebrating the pardoning love of God in our day in and day out lives. But Paul couldn't get over it. And Peter didn't get over it. And the early disciples just never got over this reality. When Paul writes to the Corinthian church, which this church was a mess. They had all kinds of issues going on in the church. But he reminds them over and over again of this new reality of forgiveness with God. In chapter 6, he says this. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. 
What he says there is, you know, nobody gets in based off their own righteousness. And all of our sins keep us from this holy God. We can't inherit the kingdom of God because of our sin, because of our failure, because of all these sins that he lists off. But then he says, and such were some of you. But you were washed. Note that language. You were sanctified. That means set apart. You were justified. That means to be declared righteous and in a good relationship with God. Actually means to be declared holy in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Do you see how he connects being declared holy with being washed? That's what baptism represents. Your sins and the stain of our sins, past, present, future, have been washed away. There's this song, and we kind of referenced it in some of the singing that we did this morning, about the blood of Jesus washing away our sins. Remember the William Cooper song, There's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Y'all know that song. It's a dramatic picture, isn't it? It's actually shocking if you get the imagery of that. Here's a fountain that's filled up with blood that's been drawn from Jesus' veins. And the picture is that sinners are plunged beneath this flood of Jesus' blood in such a way that all their stains can't be seen anymore. They lose them all. They're all gone. Well, that's what baptism is supposed to imperfectly picture for us. Through faith in Jesus, we've been plunged into the blood of Jesus. And we are immersed in his forgiveness. God, as it were, holds our nose and then submerges us in the flood of the triune love of God. And then we come up out of that, the blood of Jesus drips off of us. And now all the Father sees is the life of his Son covering us from head to toe. Not our stains, but his life and his love and his blood and his forgiveness. And then even though we sin, the guilt of our sin and the stain of our sin are washed away and drained out. That's literally what's going to happen in that water after the baptism. It's going to go down uh, from the place in which it was uh, found. It comes from the city of Frisco. It's not magic water. It comes from the city of Frisco. But the water represents something that is washed away from us. Our, Our sins and our stains are removed from us and it gets drained out. Never to keep us from the presence of God. Never to hinder us from coming and drawing near to God in his grace. So it symbolizes forgiveness. Union with Christ symbolizes forgiveness, secondly. Number three, it symbolizes new life. New life. In uh, Romans 6, we always share this when we do a baptism. Do you not know that all of us who have been buried into Christ Jesus were buried into his death? 
We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That new life is this new reality of the Holy Spirit who now indwells us, not afraid to indwell sinners who are struggling with sin, to help us, to empower us, to encourage us, to move us closer and closer to God, to be with us even as we wrestle with our own sin and, uh, and, and to change us from the inside. Now, we know that's what he has in mind because there's a question right before verse 3 of Romans 6, and it says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? In other words, God's grace is so powerful, and it's, it's so magnified by his forgiving of all of our sins, somebody could logically go, well, can I just sin like crazy so that God's grace is glorified? Well, that's what verse 3 is answering. Well, of course not. That's not where love leads you. Your logic might go there, but not your love for God. God's love in you won't lead you to that place. Why? Because you're now walking in newness of life. You're now walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that power is, uh, is available to you all the time. Now, in uh, Colossians, it's described this way. This union with Christ really helps us see how powerful this is. In verse 11 of Colossians uh, two, I believe it says, in him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Notice verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you... Who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him. Notice that's the same language of Ephesians 2. Having forgiven us all our trespasses. By canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside. Nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities. And put them to open shame. By triumphing over them in him. So the accuser, who is Satan, who accuses us believers night and day, constantly reminding us of our sin, Jesus has put to open shame and disarmed his ability through the cross. And he has united us to himself where he intercedes for believers all day long. In every moment you're being interceded for. And you can always turn to him because he's there for us in his intercession. But notice also that the power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that is at work in us. We were buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through the faith in the powerful working of God. That same power is at work in us. Now change is slow and change is difficult. But what this reminds us of and what baptism reminds us of is even though change is slow and difficult change is possible and that is hopeful many of us are struggling to have hope for change in a particular area of your life you don't feel like you've changed but because God is at work in your life you are changing and in baptism 
when we see it, when, it's wit when we witness it, we are reminded, it's a grace into our lives of reminding us that I've been raised from the dead by the power of God and change is possible for me. And we need that reminder. When we witness baptism, it reminds us I'm united to Christ, I'm forgiven of my sins, and through that power, change is possible. Here's, here's the last thing I would say that it reminds us of and what it pictures for us is inclusion in the body of Christ. In uh, 1 Peter, uh, he says this, God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Verse 21, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. That's his way of describing faith in Christ for forgiveness and new life. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who's gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subject to him. What the picture there is, just like the ark was a place of safety amidst chaos and judgment. Jesus is the ark of safety. And baptism shows the watching world that there is an indestructible ark in a very turbulent sea. And in particular in, the, in God's judgment over that turbulent sea. But it also shows who is actually in the ark. Not only is there an ark but baptism pictures and shows us who's there, who's in the ark, who's trusting in Jesus. So when somebody's baptized, they're saying, I'm in Christ and Christ is in me and I put my faith in him. But when somebody's baptized, we're also saying, we're with you. And that person's being baptized saying, I'm with you too. So it's a, it's a mutual coming together. It's a mutual expression of faith together. In, uh, in his book, Understanding Baptism, Bobby Jameson puts it this way. Baptism is a church's act of affirming and portraying a believer's union with Christ by immersing him or her in water and a believer's act of publicly committing him or herself to Christ and his people. And that's why, for us, baptism is connected to membership. And uh, because it, it's not just a statement of your faith in Jesus, it's our statement to you. We are sort of baptizing you as you are putting your faith in Jesus. And we are walking together uh, towards the Lord and helping each other uh, to grow and to follow Jesus. Uh, and and, and the, the beautiful thing about this is that it's God's way of making your faith public to the world. And we do all this together. Bobby Jameson goes on to say, if you're uneasy about going public with your faith, Look at baptism as a help rather than a hurdle. Jesus hasn't left it up to your boldness or creativity to figure out how to declare yourself a Christian. He's shown you how to do it. He's made it simple. All you have to do is profess your faith in Christ and then lean back and hold your breath. That's super helpful. That is actually what we tell people to do. <laughs> actually, we hold your nose. We, you know, but you do have to hold your breath. All right, let's close with just a few questions because these questions come up a lot over the years in terms of baptism. Here's, here's uh, 
the first biggest question, should I be baptized? Well, let me ask you a few questions here. Do you understand the gospel? Not do you understand the gospel fully in all of its uh, intricate, beautiful detail. But do you understand the simple message of Jesus' death and resurrection for you as a sinner? And do you understand yourself to be a sinner and you put your faith in Christ? So do you understand the gospel? Do you agree with the gospel? Have you put your faith in Jesus? And alongside that is, do you have a believable profession of faith? Would other people say, yeah, you put your faith in Jesus? Of course. It doesn't mean that you're perfect. It doesn't mean that you, you don't sin or struggle. Of course not. But you have a believable profession of faith. And are you willing and able to profess faith publicly? Now, on the ability, this is where special care and wisdom need to be given to the profession of a child who's grown up in a believing environment like, like our own. We, as a church, uh, typically encourage kids uh, although we believe Jesus saves people at a very young, young age. But in terms of baptism, because the ability to profess faith is so difficult and challenging, we typically as a church encourage parents to wait uh, until they are double digits, like preteen. That's, we're not hard and fast about that. We've baptized younger, but as a church we, we encourage uh, those kids to wait uh, for baptism. They'll remember it better uh, and they'll be able to profess faith. Uh, better. Sometimes it's difficult for them. Not impossible. So again, we don't have a hard and fast rule, but the ability to profess faith is important. And, uh, and if that's yes to all of those, if it's yes to all of those, then yes. If you understand it, agree with it, put your faith, you've put your faith in Christ and uh, you're committing yourself to Christ, then by all means, you should be baptized. And, and typically there's some questions uh, in our baptism class about, well, should I get rebaptized? Well, Ephesians 4, 5 says there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And Scripture never teaches the need for more than one baptism. However, and this does come up occasionally, where a person was baptized and they believe that they were truly an unbeliever. Sometimes that they don't know. If they don't know, we say, well, then, then you don't know. Let's... Let's, uh, let's, let's believe that you were, but if you know you weren't, if you were baptized as an unbeliever, then you haven't been meaningfully baptized is what we would say. And we would encourage you to be baptized. So, uh, and sometimes it takes time to talk about that and process that. And, and we're here for you if you would like to talk more about that. Uh, a question that often comes up is, are we saved by baptism? No, I hope that first part of my message is clear. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. Not faith in the sacrament. Remember the thief on the cross? Uh, he, he looks over at Jesus. He puts his faith in Jesus. He has no time to get baptized and identify with Jesus uh, corporately with people and yet Jesus looks over at the thief on the cross and says truly now when Jesus says the word truly you can believe everything he says and he says truly I say to you today you will be with me in paradise the last thing that thief hears before he dies is Jesus promising him paradise and uh, because of faith alone in Jesus 
alone. So no, baptism does not save you. It's, uh, it's important. It's an expression of faith. It's, it's important for us as much of it as it's important to you. But no, of course it doesn't save you. Uh, so lastly, what should prevent you? Somebody could say, well, what prevents me from being baptized? Well, uh, here's a few things that, that would prevent you from being baptized. If you're at a place where you're saying, I don't understand who Jesus is or what he's done, no, you shouldn't be baptized. Keep tracking with us. Keep listening. Keep learning. If you were at a place of saying, I don't think I believe this for myself yet, you're in a place where you can journey along with us. And we would encourage you to come to Alpha with us. We're going to do a preview right after the service, and you can learn more about that. You could say, well, I want to fit in with this group, so should I get baptized? No, that is not a reason to get baptized. Maybe that's part of your story. You're like, man, I, I was pushed to fit in, and that's a, a, a not a good reason to get baptized. Uh, or if you don't understand baptism, you, you're still like learning about it, that, that would prevent you. Or if you have an injury or a, a, a disability, well, yeah, there, there are reasons that you shouldn't be submerged underwater. But here's what shouldn't prevent you. I have anxiety about standing in front of people. Do you know I do too? I have anxiety about standing in front of people too. All the time. And I, I mean that. I don't mean that uh, uh, in a, really in a joking way. I really mean that. And so I understand and we, we understand there are real anxieties uh, and, and challenges to standing in front of people. And we will work with you. There are other contexts besides this space where we could baptize you in front of people, and we will make a way for that. Uh, I don't want to read my testimony in front of people. Uh, we don't have time for everybody to read their testimony in front of everybody. So uh, in the past, we would have like everybody do that, and then we got to a place where people started to think, well, if I'm not ready to read my testimony, I'm not ready to get baptized. No, 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 that's not a profession of faith. A profession of faith is you believe that Jesus died and rose for you, and you put your faith in Jesus, and you just need to affirm that from the water, and that is a public profession of faith. However, we do sometimes share testimonies, and we just want to be super clear about that. I don't know enough about baptism. Neither do I. I discovered that this week. I need to learn more. It's so rich. It's so uh, powerful. Uh, and we need to continue to learn about baptism. But it's a grace that comes to us each and every time that we see a baptism. Uh, I struggle with assurance. Uh, here's what I would say. If you struggle with assurance, you need to get baptized. <laughs> Baptism is God's way of helping you with your assurance as you are obedient to the command. Just obeying the promise that he has given to you. We have seen over and over again people struggle with baptism decrease after they were baptized and baptized publicly and so uh, we would encourage you to not let that be a hindrance to, uh, to to being baptized or I struggle with sin if you are struggling with sin uh, trusting in God and, and leaning on his power that is evidence of faith in Jesus and reasons to get baptized so uh, that's actually a, a reason why you should get baptized I was baptized as an infant or a child again that might demonstrate grace alone, but it didn't demonstrate faith alone. Get baptized. Uh, I don't love God enough. So I've heard that from many people. I just don't, I don't know if I love God enough. And I'm waiting for this moment where I, I will love God enough. Listen to me right now. 
you're, you're holding up a law over you. And uh, listen, nobody, nobody loves God enough in here. Nobody. You don't love God enough, and you never will. None of us love God enough. Do you know who loved God enough? Jesus loved God enough. Jesus is who we are identifying with in Christ. And we are being baptized in his love for God. And that is why we are in the water. We're saying, I don't love God enough. And Jesus does and died for me and is my representative. And so none of those are reasons that should, baptize, that should hinder you uh, from being baptized. So let me just end with these two promises. Jesus says, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who's in heaven. So, so think on that if you are wrestling with getting baptized. And in Acts 22, uh, remember the words that were given to the Apostle Paul. He says, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Let's, let's pray together and we're going to see some baptisms together. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.